Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you about our first guest, Executive Director of the Rhine Research Center. John Kruth has 20-plus years of professional technology experience and at least 10 years more as a professional researcher in parapsychology. His research includes explorations in the subtle energies of the body, including psychic healing, the energy behind psychokinesis, poltergeist activity, and other unconscious effects on electronic devices and measurements of biophotons from energy healers as well. Later on in the program, we'll be joined by Ed Edwards, who is one of the strongest tested at the Rhine Bioenergy Lab and Research Center. But let's get John in. John, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you tonight. All of this because of the late Joseph Banks Rhine back at Duke University, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's when it all started. Uh, you know, J.B. Rhine started uh, back at Duke University in 1935 as a Duke parapsychology lab, and he actually coined the term extrasensory perception, or ESP. He, I mean, he started off as a botanist, didn't he? Right. He and his wife, Louisa, were actually both botanists, and they had heard uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, the man who wrote the Sherlock Holmes myth. That's right. They heard him speaking at a, a place in Chicago about some work he was doing with the Society for Psychical Research that was over in the U.K. J.B. was in the audience and heard it and was so excited about it that he was a young Ph.D. student, went home and talked to his wife and said, I think I found what I'd like to study the rest of my life. <laughs> That's fantastic. My, my late aunt knew him. Uh, oh, my she was a psychiatrist who devoted her entire practice, John, into studying telekinesis and telepathy. And she was in that in a big, big way before she died. That's wonderful. You know, JB has contacted and been in touch. He was in touch with so many people through his life because the Duke Parapsychology Lab was just so popular. It was the only place in the world that was doing studies in an academic environment. What did he need to do to twist the arm of Duke University to even set that program up? Well, that's a, you know, that's interesting because he didn't actually twist their arm. After he had uh, decided that he wanted to work in this field, he started contacting other people who were also doing some preliminary research, and he spoke to a man named William McDougall, who was up at Harvard. Got to know him very well, and at some point, McDougall called JB and said, hey, I'm going to this brand-new university down in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm going to be head of the psychology department. Why don't you come with us, and you can study mediumship when you're down at, at Duke University. So he was invited <laughs> to go to Duke University and study, and within a very short period of time, he showed that he was very, very capable of doing strict scientific research there. Oh, and he was into all these areas, too. Uh, you know, telekinesis, as you mentioned, mediumship, ESP research. He did it all, didn't he? Well, he... He defined the field. <laughs> he defined it, and, you know, many people, when they think about parapsychology, they think about a lot of different things, like cryptozoology related to Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. They think about uh, UFOs and aliens. We don't actually study that in the field of parapsychology. Interesting topics, very interesting. But the field of parapsychology is limited to really five specific things, one of them being telepathy or mind-to-mind -mind communication, another, clairvoyance, 
getting information about objects or events from a distance. People call that remote viewing oftentimes now. Um, precognition, getting information through time, usually from the future. Tele- psychokinesis, PK, people used to call it telekinesis. And then also survival studies. And this has to do with anything related to spirits, reincarnation, um, and, and mediumship, things of this nature. JB defined the field in this way, and so he, could, he was able to do studies in a number of different areas. They developed the ESP test cards. Have you seen these? Yeah, I sure have, absolutely. Yeah. The, Remarkable. Many people call them Zener cards, and, they, and he developed those at Duke University, and they used them for testing for about 30 years at Duke University. Well, he died 40 years ago, John, and one would have thought that the J.B. Ryan Institute would have gone with him. It did not. It continues. Oh, absolutely not. Yes. In, in 1965, after he'd been at Duke for 30 years, he actually moved off campus and started his own foundation. It was independent of Duke University, and it continues today. You know, you know doing research in this field, is it's rare that you find some, some areas that are really doing scientific research, publishing in peer-reviewed journals, and taking it seriously as a science. And we've been doing that, continuing to do that, to follow the legacy of J.B. Ryan. What kind of research are you doing there now? Oh, my goodness. We have a lot of different things going on. You know, when you were reading my bio and talking about the different different things, uh, I was just like, wow, we're really busy with a lot of things. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we are still doing some uh, research on ESP or, you know, extrasensory connections between people, telepathy, and clairvoyance. But where my main focus is right now, and two of the main studies I'm working on, one of them is related to energy healing, people who talk about healing techniques and healing methods, and what is the energy that they talk about when they're talking about energy healing. And the other study that I'm focused on greatly is uh, psychokinesis and trying to understand more about what is the nature of psychokinesis and can we learn more about how it works. You know, many people say, well, is this stuff real? Does it really happen? And, and, I, and my answer is, you know, I can't say is it real. It happens. Exactly. Lab, it happens all the time. And so I'm trying to figure out, can we determine what it is and how we can explain it better to other people? Well, with John Cruth from the Ryan Research Center and the Ryan Institute, of course, he's the executive director. What would you say about these things, though? Because... They do happen. There's no question about that. And you've been studying this for years, and the Institute's been studying this for years with some pretty remarkable cases. I mean, Ed Edwards is going to join us in a moment, and he's one of your best-tested subjects. What have you concluded, John, about what this is? Well, the first thing that we do when we're doing research is we have to establish that the phenomena is actually there. <laughs> and with, when we're talking about ESP and parapsychology, a lot of people have trouble believing that it actually happens. So once we've established that we actually have a phenomenon to study, then we start trying to say, okay, can we determine, is there an energy behind it? Does it require people to do it intentionally? Can it happen unintentionally? Can we learn more about the, what the phenomena is? And so this is where a lot of my studies are going right now. One of the studies that, I've been, that I worked on just recently was trying to see if when people are working on computer systems, do their emotions have an effect on the actual electronics of the computer? 
So when, what I did is I set up a computer system that would automatically detect when there were errors in the computer system, and then I designed experiments to try to get people to be anxious. <laughs> and what I found is that when they became more anxious, I noticed more errors in the electronics of the computer system. To me, this is very relevant, especially with all of us carrying around these little computers in our pocket all day long. <laughs> you know, sometimes if you're working on a computer and, or working in, in, with electronics, you might notice that they start to seem to go out of whack. And you might think, oh, I'm making mistakes. But, you know, what I found, actually, was that it's us. It, could be coming, it could be coming directly from us, yes. And it's sometimes taking a little break, going for a walk, getting a cup of coffee, and coming back to it will resolve the situation. Of the many things that you do at the Ryan Research Center, what one area would you say stands out the most, if you could? Well, again, the two areas that I'm studying with psychokinesis and the other one with the uh, healing research. The healing research is related to the bioenergy lab that we have at the Ryan. Okay. And this is where we've done research with Ed Edwards quite a bit. Uh, the bioenergy lab, you know, we... People talk who do healing, they often talk about energy blockages and energies moving through the body in different ways. People who do martial arts, they talk about chi, and chi be moving through the body and utilizing chi in their martial arts. And then you talk about meditators who often talk about kundalini energies through the body. But if you speak to a physicist or a traditional scientist, you're going you're to hear them saying energy, kinetic energy and potential energy, you're not talking about either of those, so I don't know what you're talking about when you're saying energy. Well, what we do in our bioenergy lab is we're looking at light. We're looking at ultraviolet light measurements from anybody, from individuals. What I found is that there is something called biophotons, which are produced by any organic matter. People, plants, animals, even just individual cells produce ultraviolet light, anything that's living. This isn't parapsychology. This is biology. And it's being studied in the highest levels of biology at MIT and, and other, other places around the world. But what we're doing at the Rhine is we're bringing in people who say they're energy healers, like Ed Edwards, mm -hmm. and we're asking, let's get a baseline reading from you and figure out how, many, how much energy, how much light we can see coming from you. And then we say, start your healing. Now, many people do this type of healing remotely. They don't need to be in the same room with someone. They can do it from a distance. And so we ask Ed, do your healing from a distance with someone, and let's see if we measure any changes. I do this with many people. With 90% of the people, I get no changes from the baseline, nothing. But with 10% of the people, I get very significant changes. Gee, it's probably huge in that 10%, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's extremely huge. I mean, it will go everywhere from, in a baseline, I'll read it going about 12 to 20 photons a second. 12 to 20 photons. It's a really dark room, George. <laughs> There's not much light in there at all. <laughs> but when someone starts doing their healing, with certain people, I'll see that jump up to 80 photons a second, or even into the hundreds, thousands, and I've had two people who went over a million photons Jeez. a second. Now, how do you explain that? How do we explain it? <laughs> well, you know, biophotons are something that biologists are still trying to understand what it is and how it works. We're looking at the light as potentially a carrier for information that might assist in healing. 
So, for example, just like all of our phones, our Internet, everything works on fiber optics. That's light that travels through long wires, and modulating the light using different uh, wavelengths well, and frequencies, you can, change, you can put information into the light. It's possible the biophotons are a way of producing communication between the healer and the person they're treating. And so this is what we're looking at. We also see it with martial artists, and we also found it in people who do strong meditation and other people who have psi abilities. Have you gotten to the point, John, where you can explain how this happens? No. In fact, biologists haven't figured that out. No, no. (laughs) And astronomers haven't even been able to tell me about the Big Bang and what that is. Right. (laughs) Well, and you know, when you're looking at biology, you would think, well, you should be able to find the cells that it's originating in and where it's coming from, but it hasn't been able to... It's only since the 1970s that this has been an observed phenomenon. So it's a very new science. And, you know, typically parapsychology is on the cutting edge of science. And things that we studied, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, are just starting to make their way into mainstream a bit more. Tell us about Ed Edwards, and before we bring him in at the uh, half here, and then both of you are going to join us next hour for phone calls. But tell us, how did you find him, and tell us a little bit about him. Well, I, I came to, to the Rhine and started working here about, about 10 years ago as a researcher, a little more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And when I got here, there was a, this bioenergy lab was upstairs, and, and one of the researchers who uh, was working with that lab had passed away. He had, he had contacted Ed previously, and Ed had come to the Rhine. Um, the room was closed. I, got, I found out what was going on in the room and opened it back up, and we brought Ed in for an experiment. Okay. One of the first experiments, what we brought Ed in, I saw very strong effects very strong light production whenever he was in the room. Now, people always say, well, what does it mean, light? Well, light is electromagnetic energy. So it corresponds to the feeling of energy that many of these healers are talking about. I mean, did the room illuminate when he walked in? Well, the piece of equipment we're using is called a photomultiplier tube. The photomultiplier tube will measure a single photon of light every half second. It's very sensitive. So the room doesn't get so bright that you it just like a flash of lightning mm-hmm. but it gets strong enough when you're when you're producing hundreds of thousands of photons it gets strong enough so that of course it registers on the machine but it is possible you might see a small glow at the same time is there a light bulb on the machine or something like that uh, we don't have any light in that room at all because the machine's so sensitive even a even a I know, mean is covered. there is there a light bulb on the machine no, there's no light bulb on the Nothing. Machine. Okay. No. It runs into our computer system where we monitor the, the number of photons that have entered the machine. Well, what would illuminate? The screen of the machine, or what would happen? Oh, oh you mean, how would, why would there be any light? In the yeah, machine? and where, where does it well, kind of emanate a, from? If you would see a small glow in the room, we assume, because there is additional light in the room, that it's coming from the person who's in the room. So when Ed is in the room and doing this, and we start to see, if we were to see very high photon readings, people have reported seeing some light within the room when they were there with him. So it's not coming from the machine. It just seems to be in the room. But it's very, very low-level light. How old is Ed? How old is Ed? Yeah. 
Oh, um, um, you'll have to ask Ed. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. I mean, has he been at this a long time? Oh, yes, he's been working with it since he was a child. Um, he, he, I think he learned some techniques from his grandmother and just started playing with it on his own. But I'm sure he'll give you some details on that. But Ed, So I've been working with Ed for about 10 years now in the lab. And from the early times that I started working with him and started seeing the effects, I started to ask him what he was doing and ask him how he was doing it. And we've refined his methods over the years. And it, instead of trying to make big flashes of light now, he's able to control it a great deal more. And he actually does teach it to other people to be able to do similar things. And he works with other people as well to combine their effects whenever he's doing his, his work. So you can train people to do this? Um, it seems that Ed has the ability to, to help people to experience it themselves. Um, I have had other people in the lab who've had similar types of effects whenever Ed had, had spoken to him about things and told him how to do it. Um, I have other people in the lab who do the same sort of thing that Ed has never spoken to as well. So he's not the only one on the planet who does it, <laughs> but he does produce some pretty amazing effects in our lab. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.